Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Welcome to Right Lane, a podcast of the Tampa Bay Times. Each week, Times reporter Lane DeGregory discusses her stories and answers your questions. The focus is on craft. My name is Maria Carrillo, and I'm the Enterprise Editor at The Times. This episode of Right Lane is sponsored by the Scripps Howard Awards. The Scripps Howard Foundation and Right Lane are collaborating to spotlight some of the best journalism of 2019. The awards show will be April 16th. This month, we'll be talking with some of the Scripps winners. Today's topic, lawless. Joining us from Alaska is Kyle Hopkins. Kyle is an investigative reporter and editor for the Anchorage Daily News, and he's currently working with ProPublica on a two-year investigation into sexual violence and the state's criminal justice system. Kyle has won several national awards, including most recently recognition for this project from the Scripps Howard Awards. Thanks for joining us. Uh, my pleasure. Yeah, it's, um, you know, we're all kind of, it's all hands on deck here. And so, um, you know, we're all busy, all busy reporting. For those who haven't read this work, we'll post a link with the podcast. Um, you'll want to check it out. It's really impressive. Um, and just be forewarned as you're listening to this podcast, there are four of us trying to Skype from different locations. So if it's a little choppy, forgive us. Um, Kyle, if you would, can you talk a little bit about how this project evolved? Why'd you even go down this road? Sure. Well, um, I'm a longtime Alaska reporter. I'm, I'm from Alaska and, and have mostly worked here. And um, that includes a lot of coverage of rural Alaska, you know, traveling to villages and writing about the unique um, stories and challenges um, that can be found in, in remote villages that can only be reached by plane and are hundreds of miles from the nearest city. And, um, you know, there are many, there are many amazing stories there, but they're also, you know, just the remoteness and many factors, including kind of a history of, of trauma in many of these places, um, you know, uh, has led to a lot of issues that we maybe have undercovered over, you know, over the years, uh, meaning that, um, we know we've not paid enough attention to or not given enough um, reporting horsepower to. And so one thing we would find while we were covering breaking news is that you would have a pretty serious crime and it would be committed by someone who turned out to be a police officer and had been working as a police officer despite being convicted of some other previous very serious crime or sometimes would be on active probation or in really extreme cases would be a registered sex offender, but also working you know, on the public's dime as a police officer, meaning they had the authority and, and a police officer in a village is different than a police officer in a city. They, but, but they do have the authority to, to arrest someone, to put them in jail, to keep them in custody, you know, to, um, to kind of be alone with them in, in a jail, jail cell. Um, so that was one issue. And then we started um, just doing more and more stories of, you know, around the time of the Kavanaugh hearings and really as the Me Too movement was picking up, we found that suddenly Alaskans were more willing to talk about sexual abuse and sexual assault in the state, which is really an epidemic here. Um, and uh, 
is often uh, unreported. And when it is reported, law enforcement, especially rural law enforcement, had often failed to investigate. And so there were a lot of factors that just made us feel like, all right, maybe it's time to really try and tackle some of these issues of statewide inequity and this epidemic of sexual violence. And then that led us to um, a partnership with ProPublica, which really kind of was the key in the ignition and allowing us to like spend a lot of time on it because that would, you know, through their local reporting network, I was able to kind of focus solely on this issue for a year. So Kyle, did you approach it as sort of a running investigation or you knew, it sounds like you had some topics in mind. You knew that the policing thing is crazy. That was just kind of mind blowing that they're hiring um, felons. Uh, but, and, and so you're, and you're talking about also these women who are coming forward, but how did you approach is just this big wide topic or did you narrow in on themes that you wanted to hit? Well, when I when I was pitching it to my editors, you know, I kind of just on a notebook just drew a kind of upside down triangle and was like, look, we know we have this vast problem with sexual violence here and especially um, sexual abuse of children. Um, and we we don't know how much of that's occurring, but we know it's rampant. But we do know we can know how many cases are being reported to police. So once we start there, let's look at each step of that process, once it's reported, where are those cases failing or, you know, why are they not being investigated all the way down to kind of the tip of the triangle, you know, um, which is the very few number, the very small number of people being held accountable. And it was almost this issue of we had to, before we could really start talking about this, the, the justice system, we had to just kind of provide people with a snapshot of like, here's what justice and law enforcement looks like in Alaska, especially in rural Alaska. Um, and so that led to saying, look, we need to just we need to identify the lack of super basic public safety services in the bush. Right. Because it had been there were estimates and there had been a couple of attempts, I think, by the feds, especially to quantify that. But but their methodology, in my opinion, was not good. And so um, the first step was just, all right, we need to say how many communities have no access to local law enforcement at all, meaning if there, if a school shooter started shooting a school and you called 911 is there someone who could come to the school you know that that's one way of looking at it you know or would they have to would it have to be a trooper who flies in on an airplane from another community and maybe is weathered out because you know i can tell you from experience you often can't get into a village you kind of have to wait around for a while mm. so um so that was like the most baseline uh beginning of the project was like well let's just quantify this for the first time and then that led to this months long kind of, um, you know, mundane <laughs> reporting of just making spreadsheets and contacting every single village and um, trying to get a sense of, of what they had. And then once we got a sense of, you know, did a community have law enforcement? Well, if they did, well, who who is that person? Because the state didn't know that either. No one knew it. Um, so then once we started getting those names, then we could kind of vet those those folks. And that's that's where we we're able to more state in a more statewide sense, you know, identify how many police had criminal records. How did you know to do that, Kyle? How did you know to background the police officers? Did you have a hunch or a tip or did you know some of these guys? Um, it was, it really was just from being a breaking, you know, because I've, you know, you wear a lot of hats in the small newsroom, right? And and I've been doing this long enough that the, um, that I spent a lot of breaking news shifts. And so it was more just, it just came up, you know, you'd write about, there would be a shooting in a community and you'd be writing about that and then you would interview someone in the community and they say, oh, yeah, well, he was the VPO, you know, he was the village police officer. And so then you'd look 
at his criminal record and there would be all these, you know, uh-huh. he'd be on probation and, and it was just kind of, it would, and it would just be this thing that wouldn't necessarily be part of that first, like the focus of that initial breaking news story. But, um, you know, we saw that enough that we knew that, that that was probably something that we needed to do. And then, oh, and there was another, like one instrumental story was, um, there was a guy who was named like rural police officer of the year who had been working despite, um, a conviction, I think for, um, for giving alcohol to a minor and he ended up um sexually assaulting an underage girl who who died um the night of that sexual assault and so we wrote that story and that kind of that led to a bunch of tips and so you know none of it was like it was just all just one thing after another and none of it was like especially insightful it was just kind of it was just kind of following the obvious threads um but the difference was spending the time to do it (laughs) you know instead of saying i'll get because we kept saying we'll get to that we'll get to that and then it was finally just doing it how did you build a network of sources i mean you so some people started coming to you but how did you reach how, how did you do that especially i'm fascinated by how um spread out alaska is and you describe in in some of your stories the challenges of that um so how did you guys find people well um you know, rural Alaska is really active on Facebook. And so, and we knew just from experience that, um, that there just were certain ways to get a hold of people. Like if you can't reach people in the, in a community, you might call the tribal, like every store usually has like a little, very small store where, you know, kind of essentials are sold. So you can call that and say, Hey, I'm trying to get a hold of this person. Who's what's their number. And then you get the number from that person. And so, um, so a combination of just kind of cold calls, and um, reaching out to people on Facebook was a big part of it. Um, I had, for a while, I had done a blog called The Village. And this is, I mean, this is, it was long enough, long ago, long, long ago enough that we called it a blog, <laughs> you know, but it was, uh, it was, and it was meant to be kind of just essays and kind of stories of life in rural Alaska. So like, I had a little bit of a network um, in villages from having just reached out previously, asking people for stories about life in their communities. Um, so kind of had a network on Facebook. And then, um, and then the state uh, and the feds, you know, because every village has a tribe, the state and the feds have on record contacts for every community. And so we kind of made, we began our database by just taking all the contact information from these federal and state de- databases for tribes and then reaching out, you know, e- emailing each of those. When, when and how did you bring in ProPublica? Um, well, I had, um, I had left the paper uh, a few years ago and then it went bankrupt and like, you know, it's, we, the Anchorage Daily News has gone through kind of all the small newspaper stuff that everyone's going through. Right. So like, um, I had worked as a TV reporter for a while and I was kind of, it, which was super fun, but I was itching to do, to get back to print. And so when I came back to the paper, the idea was, Hey, let's, it's hard to, it's hard to pay for enterprise reporting, right? Like there's just never enough bodies in the newsroom. How can we make sure that we're doing enterprise and investigative stuff and so the idea there was well let's let's try and work on projects that we can get partner nonprofit funding on and so ProPublica was just the top of the list right it was just like well who could who could we partner with who could help us pay for this and and increase our bandwidth you know and so we we just applied to their local reporting network and um we actually i talked to them about a few different ideas i'm really interested in rural housing village housing there's severe overcrowding that was something i'd wanted to do we kind of talked over what might work. Um, at the time, we were applying 
I was doing all these stories on rural policing and we had done this call out, this statewide call out. And we got like 200 responses from people just telling these like um, heartbreaking, just soul crushing stories of sexual abuse um, as a result of our call out. And that was part of our application of ProPublica. We said, look, we know that this is a problem because there's 200 people here that tell us it is. And most of them said they're willing to talk to us on the record. And so I think that was kind of, I mean, I don't know this, but I think that was instrumental in ProPublica choosing our project because it was that call out and just knowing that, um, you know, we weren't guessing at something like we kind of we knew it. We just needed help. You'd done a lot of the pre-reporting then and a lot of the sourcing already before you brought them on board. It sounds like you've done a ton of the legwork already. We had done, you know, I knew um, some of the storylines and, um, you know, I mean, <laughs> there's there's benefits and drawbacks to working in one place your whole career. But I mean, definitely one of the benefits was I just kind of just over the years, I just got to know so many sources and community and people in villages that, um, you know, we I could kind of easily fact, test, you know, truth check something like, well, if, if we think this is a story, we could kind of check it out. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Not easily, you know, again, with those sources that we already had. And then where ProPublica helped was like, you know, all right, how do we do responsible and like trauma informed engagement, for example, right? Like, how do we reach out to people in a way that's like best practices and actually going to work and kind of where we're not asking a bunch of follow up questions that we could have asked initially. And so it was things like their their engagement team was really instrumental in all of this. And then they had a researcher who was helping me just reach out to every village. And so um, you know, they were a big part in kind of shaping <clears throat> in, in shaping how the reporting worked. But, you know, we also kind of knew what we wanted to say. I was just going to ask you, Kyle, yeah, what what they brought to the partnership. But um, and I, I saw I guess they they had created some forms, right, for people to contact you guys. I mean, it, it sounds like they helped with some of the logistics. But, yeah, absolutely. Like we, we had done a call out that was kind of ham fisted um, and it got a big response, but. If there were some problems with it. So they helped us do a new call out and really tailor that call out to like certain things that we knew we wanted to report on. <clears throat> um, they helped me with, you know, I was sending out like just hundreds of records requests because there's every community has multiple entities and then we're reaching out to every law enforcement agency. And so they helped me like, they helped me write those records requests so that they were on point. Um, you know, and then the editing, ed the editing was huge. I mean, cause for a small newsroom like ours, there's not a lot of bandwidth for editing. Um, and so, you know, my editor on the project was Charlie Ornstein and he was, you know, and he just was in there on every story, helping me, you know, figure out what needed to be in each story and kind of what the holes were. Um, and, and there's another piece of it that like I wouldn't have, that didn't occur to me until we really started going, but they have a legal review, <laughs> which was really nice. You know, they just have an attorney look at every story and kind of raise questions to make sure that we're bulletproof in that sense. Um, that gave me a lot of confidence because, you know, um, this was not a popular 
project with our state government and others. Uh, so that was also really helpful. Can you talk about some of the results that have come so far and, and maybe a little bit about, you know, what's ahead on this project? Sure. So, you know, we did the first big initial story um, that was, and again, it was like, it wasn't even necessarily super surprising, certainly not to people who live in villages. You know, they, they know that, they know about the lack of services. Um, you know, they live it, right? Um, and statewide in Anchorage, I think, I think in Anchorage, there's a lot of people who don't really have a sense of kind of what life is like in, in villages because they wouldn't have any occasion to go there and, and they're far away and you have to get on a plane and it's expensive, right? Um, and then nationally, I think there's just a little bit of like a sense of people of just people were surprised at this lack of services and in some ways, third world conditions that, you know, their fellow Americans are living in. And when I say third world, I mean, there's no running water, right? There's like 30 villages with just, you know, there's no flush toilets and running water. Um, and in addition, there's no police, right? And so I think just um, those basic facts, I think, resonated. Um, that's also where public, ProPublica helped um, because they just have a different audience than, than we do. And they kind of, they get the ear of people <laughs> in D.C. Uh, that we might not. Um, and so, so after our first story, a few weeks later, um, the attorney general visited, and I think he was going to visit anyway. Um, and then a few weeks after that, but he did kind of, but he set, did a roundtable with tribal leaders, and they all focused on these issues that we just really kind of explored in our first story. And then a few weeks after that, they declared a federal emergency related to the lack of law enforcement. Um, and that was kind of the, the biggest piece of it, I would say. And, and there, a lot of money has been kind of dedicated to this issue. Um, I think, you know, it remains to be seen how, whether that makes a difference, uh, frankly. And then, um, and then there have been a, like a lot of other uh, statewide um, things that have happened. You know, like there, there's been an effort to crack down on these just kind of obvious failures in the vetting um, and certification of rural police officers um, and in making sure that those jobs, especially the state funded version of those jobs are, are jobs that someone might actually want to do. So, you know, they, so people will apply for them. Um, so there's been, there's been kind of a gratifying response on the federal and state levels, but, um, but I wouldn't pretend to know if it's going to make a difference long-term. Kyle, how many people were working on this project? Let's see. Well, you know, I, I spent all of 2019 on it, um, uh, reporting and, there were other reporters in the newsroom who would jump on um, individual stories, especially like, you know, okay, so the attorney general's in the villages and he's kind of touring, you know, like a, another reporter worked on that story. Um, when it was crunch time on the data collection, you know, we just kind of needed this real brute force last round of just some on the phone, working the phones kind of. To, you know, making sure we actually communicate to someone on the ground in every community. There were multiple reporters. Um, so I would say like, there were like maybe a half dozen reporters who had a piece of it at any given time in our newsroom. And then at ProPublica, there was a research, um, uh, a research fellow who was amazing. There was the audience engagement team. Um, they were amazing. There was like at least three people from that audience engagement team, including three who like came out to, to Kotzebue and like just talked to people had, did a town hall on the ground, you know, which was amazing. Um, wow. So maybe another six or so at ProPublica who, you know, did a fair amount of work. Kyle, were you going to say something about 
covering Alaska and, and um, Lane's, Lane was talking about, you know, the sense of place. I, I do feel like I, reading your stories made me feel like a guy who knows who knows uh, this state really well. Um, um, you know what it was, was the, the, the thing I wanted to say, you know, I had a kind of a pit in my stomach and still do <laughs> you know, throughout this project um, because you uh, I just fear of. I, I have a fear of kind of just furthering stereotypes and stigmatizing communities, you know, doing harm. Um, and so that was one thing I worried a lot about was just, you know, there's, that's why the reason we had, the reason we used to have a blog called The Village was like, it was to celebrate rural Alaska because it's, it's amazing. Like it's, people are living lives in rural Alaska that are, um, you know, just like every one of them could be a, a feature length movie, you know, like um, in, in this place that is um, that is gorgeous and deadly. Um, and so I was worried about just presenting, just kind of painting this portrait of Alaska as like this, you know, crime infested place. Um, and I'm not sure we didn't do that, you know, but um, but it was something that was top of mind. And and actually R Russian mission, there was one of the reasons we went there. I actually, I have to admit, I didn't, I didn't know that Russian mission had a VPSO who killed himself like two days after identifying a bunch of these very problems we were writing about. The reason we went to Russian mission was because it was, it, you know, it's just a really vibrant, lively um, Alaska native community, you know, with active culture. They had done, they did things like they would teach hunting and subsistence, like in the classroom and stuff. So that was kind of the initial reason why we chose Russian mission as a place to visit. And then it happened to have this other um, element that, that dovetailed with the reporting, but it was kind of that, that trip in particular was meant to kind of celebrate, you know, rural Alaska a little bit. I read, you read that you had daughters. Um, and I read the story about the little 10 year old girl who got kidnapped from the playground. How much, if any of this was personal? Well, um, you know, I, um, I lived in um, the village of Cake for uh, a few years when I was my daughter's age. My daughters are seven and ten, um, and my dad was like a school principal. And so, um, and Cake was a place where you know at that time it probably didn't have police. I mean, I was too young to know, but I can remember, you know, there being suicide. I can remember adults being really sad about suicides, and I can just remember overhearing things, um, you know. And I remember loving living there as a kid. You know, just kind of you're on the ocean you're at the beach you're like there's salmon crabs everywhere you know it's just like in a magical place to live um but um you know that it's also that village in particular has had some really um horrible crimes that were not properly responded to i would say um by law enforcement and so that that part of it i guess was a little personal um and then there's also this feeling of you know, I'm getting old enough now that it just doesn't feel like anything was changing in terms of especially the sexual abuse and sexual assault problems. They just didn't, nothing, nothing we were trying as a state seemed to make a difference. Um, you know, generation kept growing up and kids being abused and then the next generation, it would happen all over again. And so if it, I guess the personal part of it would be just, you know, it, have we done everything we can to try and interrupt that cycle of abuse? Um you know, and that I would say is more where the next kind of phase of the reporting is meant to go. Although, I mean, I'm fully on COVID stuff now, so like I don't know when I'll get back to it. But, um, but that's I'm hoping to explore that. Um, you know, 
the other elements of the criminal justice system in the in the second phase of reporting. So let's um let's let's end, Kyle, with can we talk a little bit about yeah the coronavirus and and you mentioned that you're um, you're using some of the databases and contact lists and some of the things that you did on your project for reporting on coronavirus. How are you doing that? How's that working? Well, we learned a lot from ProPublica and their engagement team about how useful that is. Um, you know, just the engagement tools that they use, the forums, the callouts, um, and because we built this database of every village and contacts contacts within every village in the state, um, I was able to just make it. I literally just made a copy of my of my law enforcement villages data database, and but that includes you know columns for contact information, and then just kind of renamed it Corona Callout, and then just was able to kind of email all you know. And these are all folks living in communities who had just heard from us the previous year. So we made a new call out, um, and I asked for public, you know, I asked for their input on how to do that made a new form and then emailed that to all the people that we had asked the year before about whether they had police. Right. And so, um, and that was great. It gave us, um, it gave us a fair number of responses, um, right out the gate. Cool. Well, that's great. Congratulations again. And, um, thank you for taking time out in the middle of all of this. Well, my <laughs> pleasure. I, I, you know, I really appreciate your time and, um, y'all take care. All right. If you have a question for Lane or for Kyle, or you want to suggest a podcast topic, please email it to writelane at tampabay.com. That's W-R-I-T-E-L-A-N-E at tampabay.com, or find us on our Facebook group. Join us next week on Wednesday morning for the next podcast. This podcast was produced by Allison Graves. Music was composed and performed by Dan DeGregory. Thanks for listening. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.